sometimes I think, oh gosh, this is going to be my life. Like I'm going to be chauffeuring my kids around till they're 18. Really? I can do more than that. And then it's like, okay, but what are you doing? Are you talking to them when you're driving them? Like, where are they going? Why are you driving? Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to episode 13 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Sarah and Levy Bartfield and is dedicated to all those who need peace of mind. Thank you, Sarah and Levy, for making today's episode happen. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy@gmail.com. In today's episode, I interview Temi Hadar about the topic of asapcha, or transformation, and how she strives to infuse the ordinary moments of her life with meaning, little by little. The term asapcha does not just refer to grand or transformative upheavals. It is also just about taking the small moments of darkness, or even just the moments of daily monotony, and infusing them with godly light purpose. Hi, I'm Tammy Hadar. I live in Johannesburg, South Africa. I've been on Shilchas here since 2009. We came for two years, but here we are. We actually weren't supposed to live here. It was a very interesting. I'll tell you about that. It's oh, I'm interested. Okay, yeah. So sorry. I grew up in Seattle on Shilchas also. It's always been part of my life and part of who I am and what I do. And Thank God I've got five kids and I teach and I work as a copywriter and the Robertson of a show. That's basically my life. Nice. I just drive my kids around, really. <laughs> You're a chauffeur. That's really what you are. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really, I'm a free Uber driver for my children. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you wear many hats and all across the world from where you grew up, which is so fascinating to me. Literally me furthest place in the world from Seattle. Can't get further. Is that hard for you? Yeah, it's hard. Everyone is always asking me, do you like South Africa? I said, I love South Africa. It's just really far. And there's nothing that could change that. It's really far. Right. So Nothing makes it closer. But it's my home now. It's my life in a good way. My family tells me that I don't have a South African accent, but I sing. Like South Africans have a tune when they talk. That's um, nice. <laughs> I want to sing when I it. talk. <laughs> yeah, they, they I do go, have like a lilt. You go up at the end. That's what you need to do. Like okay, Americans so talk very flat. Like, hi, how are you? South Africans are like, you, hi, how are you? That's really nice and graceful. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you've adapted some of South African mannerisms. Yeah. Tammy, I'm so happy to have you here. It's so nice to meet you. I mean, meet you virtually, but meet you in person. Today, we're going to speak about transformation, asapcha, through the lens of your personal experience. Can you begin by introducing the topic just as it is in the source. Ishabcha is really everywhere in Hasidus because it's the way we look at the world. That's our ultimate goal. So the Altar Rebbe speaks about it first in Tanya, in Perak Yod, when he talks about the tzaddik, because that's what a tzaddik does. He transforms. The ultimate level of Ishabcha is 
when you can take your animalistic soul, your desire for self, anything that is self-directed, and you completely transform that and it becomes a second godly soul. That's the ultimate level of Ashabcha, where you take this voice. You don't just get rid of it. You now have two godly souls working together. And the analogy that's given is a small city where there's two kings and they're both fighting for power. And the ultimate win is not where you get rid of one king and subdue him completely or her queen, but where that king is now working for you and fighting for your cause. That's really transformation. And that's really the ultimate goal of everything. So most of us, all of us, are not Sadiqim and we are not going to be able to do that ultimate transformation. But we could have Sadiqim moments and pieces and bits of that in our life. And to me, it resonates the most because there's so much darkness. And the Rebbe in his first mimer of Basilagani in Tafshin Yiralaf in 1951, the Rebbe said, like, we have a job to do. We have to make this home a garden for Hashem and a home for him. And we do that through Iskafia, which is withholding. And a lot of people from the external could look at our life and think, oh, you're so restricted. There's so many things you're not doing and, you, and you're holding back. You're so, you know, you're so repressed, which is kind of what the other option of the way we serve God is like Iskafia to like repress it and, and subdue it. But really, we're living this very transformative life. If that's really what it's about, it's about transformation. It's about taking things that could be so dark and difficult and bringing light and godliness into them, into our own like personal selves and, and into the whole world. That's really beautiful. I'd love to hear when in your life you personally began to feel a connection to it that went beyond just an idea and when it began to become real for you. I remember I was in high school and I was learning once with my brother and he, he said, your Judaism is about what you're not doing. I'm Jewish because I don't drive on Shabbos and I don't eat this food and I don't, you know, if, if that's how you, that's your parameters, then what's left? It's just a bunch of, I'm not doing things. Your Judaism has to be, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm creating. And I think to me, it never made sense that Judaism was just a bunch of reward and punishment. Like, okay, I'll deal with that later. Like when I'm dead, but the idea that right now, every second is like the most important moment of your life because you can take something that is hiding God and you could use it to show God in this world. And it's in everything that we do every second. Like to me, when I learned that and when I understood that, that was a very powerful moment because otherwise, what's the point? It's not that we have moments in our lives or like Yom Kippur or whatever, because so much of that is so ordinary and everyday and regular. And what does God want from us then? That's where the extraordinary and where we can find God is when we take something that's ordinary and dull and, you know, seems to be hiding God. And, you know, we often think about bad as like something like really, really evil. And bad is from a Hasidic perspective is anything that hides God, anything that is not about God, then it's on the other side. It's Sitra Acher, it's the other side. And our job is to be like, how can we transform that? How can we bring God into doing errands and shopping and everything I'm doing? And to me, that was like a very powerful idea when I sat with that. That's such a beautiful way of explaining it, that it's not just about transforming ourselves, but it's also transforming every moment that we encounter has that opportunity for transformation within it. And we get to be the couriers for that to happen. Exactly. That's beautiful. So 
Was there something specific in high school? It was just learning Hasidus. What was it exactly that sparked that realization? We were like, oh my gosh, look what my opportunities are for transformation. I actually like wrote an essay. I wish I still had it, but I have nothing from high school. I actually wrote an essay. We had to write, like do some sort of creative project on Basi Lagani and I write. So I wrote like a creative essay on the idea of Ashabcha and Eskafia. And it was about this idea that every moment can be this immensely powerful transformative experience. And I think everyone's looking to be important. You know, people engrave their names on places or I taught for 10 years, a bunch of teenagers every year used to teach like over a hundred students here. And so many of them were always like engraving, like I was here on their desks. And I once asked Mm -hmm. them, I said, like, why? Like, are you worried that people are going to forget you? And they're like, that's just what we do. We want people to know like this was our seat. I said, well, don't just write it in a desk, like do something so that nobody will ever forget you in a positive way. Make a change, change something for the good. And I think that's what we're here for. I like that a lot. It's easy to say and hard to do because we often get so caught up in the day-to-day monotony and routine and we don't feel transformative. And most of us, we feel transformative when we're doing like the big stuff. And what Sabcha is saying is it's all the time. It's every day. There's an opportunity. There's an experience. There's a moment that can happen here. This second is like could be the most important moment of your life. Nice. Like even if it doesn't seem that way, this could be your moment. Capital M. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. Every second the world is created anew and like every second we've got something powerful to do. And again, it's in the ordinary. There could be immense meaning and transformation because meaning is about revealing godliness and you can do that. That's what Ishapcha is. It's taking something that seems dark and saying, where can I bring in the light? Because we are the light. Like we have that light within us. So I'd love to hear where in your life you experience this transformative energy. Because as you said, it's so easy to get caught up in the monotony and to really relish those large moments as the meaningful ones and the small ones of of being of being your children's Uber driver, for example, <laughs> is when it gets a little bit more challenging to like, you know, tap into the transformation and really feel the godliness and the spiritual energy that's there right. for the team. So actually the truth is how we ended up in South Africa was sort of based on this idea. We were actually supposed to move somewhere else near my parents. We had checked out a place to move on Shlachas and it kind of made sense. Wow. And South Africa had approached my husband to work in the school here. It's funny because on our first date, I asked my husband, I said, do you want to live in South Africa? And he said, no, never. And I said, great, because it's way too far for my family. And that was our only conversation we had about South Africa. Then we got married and yeah, like I told him right off the bat, like, I don't want to live there. It's too far. Literally, it was 20 minutes into our first date. (laughs) Wow. Okay. You were like, absolutely. Like, I will date you on the condition that. (laughs) Right. Like, I just wanted to put that on the table. If that's where you want to live. It's nice to meet you, but cheers. You're not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. And he was right. like, no, I don't want to live there. And we got married and we started looking into places to move on Shlachas in the US. And again, the school in South Africa, the boys high school approached my husband to come and, and work there. Meanwhile, we were looking into this position and it seemed good and made sense for us. And we were coming to South Africa for Pesach to visit my husband's family. He's South African. And he said, you know, Let's just hear what they have to say before we give a like a final commitment to this other place. So we went there and I was actually pregnant. I was expecting, I was pregnant. 
And I've never really talked about this. This is like very personal. So I actually had had a really late term miscarriage before this. I was 20 weeks pregnant and I came to South Africa and we, my husband was offered this job and it was after Pesach and it was Shabbos. And I actually, my waters broke and I miscarried again while I was in South Africa. Oh gosh. Yeah. And I remember I was lying in this hospital bed and I was like, we're meant to move here because I'm not going to let this be like a place of darkness. Like this is where we're supposed to live. Like it's really dark right now, but this is where we're supposed to like shine our light. And we moved there. I mean, this was after Pesach. We moved here July 1st. Like it was a very quick, oh, wow. you know, yeah, this is our pace of light. Like I struggled tremendously to have children and thank God we found the right doctors and treatment for me to carry pregnancies to term and everyone was its own story but thank god we have like a beautiful family and a beautiful home and it is this is our place of light i just knew in the hospital like we're meant to move here because it's not supposed to be a dark place for us here like for our family so i think sometimes in life something can seem like it's so dark i remember lying in the hospital like this wasn't supposed to happen because with my first pregnancy when i lost it the doctors were like no it's a crazy fluke and you'll send us a photo i saw all these specialists and they said you'll send me a photo of your baby in 10 months and then i fell pregnant and it seemed to be going well and when it happened i was like this is not the script you know this is not what was supposed to happen like everyone could have something bad happen to them once but twice in 8 months like that's a lot but then I said, okay. And I mean, I fell pregnant soon after we moved there. We moved in July. And then um, in May, I had my first daughter. And the whole pregnancy obviously was very high risk. And I was seeing the doctor all the time. And I was always panicking. And I used to go see him all the time. And he was a very religious person. And he, I remember he told me, he said, you just have to have faith sometimes. You're doing everything that you can, like from a medical perspective. And you just have to trust the process. And Sometimes I think that's what we need to do, like to find the light and to bring light as to what am I supposed to be doing? Oh, but it's dark. I can't bring the light. It's too dark. It's too much darkness and it's too hard. And okay. So then the question becomes, okay, well, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, what can I do? I can't bring the light, but what can I do? And like, when you ask yourself that question, like, what am I meant to be doing right now? And then you say, well, that's not going to fix the light. That's not going to be transformative. That's ordinary. That's not going to work. But when we do that, when we just say, okay, what am I meant to be doing right now? Okay, I got to make dinner. I've got to bath my kids. I've got to put them to bed. I've got to buy food for my kids. When we can just walk forward and do what, what needs to be done in the moment, sometimes just those steps can be transformative and completely like change our situations. So transformation doesn't have to be, I'm transforming. Transformation has to be, is there something good I'm meant to be doing right now? And the answer is usually yes. Then that's what we do. So it's like moment by moment. I like so. that a lot. Okay. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say how tremendous it is to me that you had this like strong clarity when you came to visit. Like I would assume that there would be so much resistance on you to move to South Africa since, as you said, it's so far from your family. And that in that moment of loss and grief, you just knew, I guess, like your soul sense, like this is our place of transformation. I think that's really tremendous, like to have that clarity in that moment and so quickly also make that 
big life choice that impacts you for, till you're – I mean, I assume well, you're going to be there for a while. Well, that's why it was a two-year. We're going to go for two years and see you. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was so, the point. Yeah. Okay. But then you so ended up there. We're still on our two years, 11, 12 <laughs> years later. You're saying it wasn't the plan for you to stay there forever. Well, I mean, they wanted that, but I said, like, I don't know. Like, I, I was there for two weeks, and it obviously was, like, a bit of a traumatic trip. It but we moved happen. here, and we have such a beautiful family. And I, like, feel, because it was so, like, hard for us in the beginning, I feel very, very acutely aware of that gift from Hashem, that it's such a miracle. Because every one of my pregnancies has always had, like, some crazy story where I'm, like, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm not gonna make it. The baby's not gonna make it, and and then we have these incredible children, and it's like, okay, well, here we are. Wow, that place of light. Sometimes I think what seems to be the darkest for us is really where our light is trying so hard to shine when we resist things sometimes, because ashabcha is not about transforming, because ultimately, even our animalistic soul is really working for God. It's trying to get us to to be self-centered, but only on God's instruction. And what our animal soul really wants deep down is to fail because it's working for God. So we're not actually transforming things. We're just revealing what's the real reality of life because that was actually creation at the beginning. It says the world was dark. And the first thing God created was this light that he invested in everything. And it seems dark sometimes. And like, I think a lot of us, when it uses the word like to transform darkness into light. And I think darkness, if you look like from a scientific, it's the absence of being able to like visualize and perception and to see things for us, it's dark. You know, it's not that there's dark, it's just our perception. And it's about recognizing that it's not dark for God. Just see that, to see the light that's really hidden in the darkness. So transformation is just changing our perception of the reality and seeing what's hidden within it. Yeah. I mean, it is an act of transformation because we look at this world and it doesn't necessarily seem like, oh, there's so many opportunities to connect with God and be one with God. And I think this past year and and having so much shift in the world and what what we think is unchangeable and this is how the world works and this is what I need to do. And everything's changed in the last year in terms of time. Like we spoke about, I spoke about this with someone like space and time, like all these things are changing. Like it used to be like you worked in real time with real people at one place. And if you didn't live there, you couldn't work with them. And now like space, like you could work with anyone from anywhere at any time, everything's virtual. And I think so many of what we think is true and real and constant and unchangeable has already changed in the last year in terms of how the world works because our reality it's true for us but is it the ultimate truth of everything not necessarily you know so it's about sure sometimes we need to change the world around us and we do that but sometimes it's just about changing our perspective and changing the way we look at things from a different lens and sometimes when something's really bright you know like when you go on the sun it like seems really dark you can't see it's literally blinding the light like so it becomes dark for us so sometimes when there's so much light that's waiting to shine, it can seem really dark for us. And I try and live like, I, I do try and like when things are hard, I think like, okay, that there's got to be a reason. 
it's hard for for a purpose. There's something I'm meant to be doing here. That seems so closely connected to what you were saying earlier when you mentioned that transformation is also just in the ordinary moments. Is there something good I'm supposed to be doing right now and I'll do it? And that type of transformation really seems to be revealing what's hidden about my mission in this world at this particular moment. So recognizing that this particular moment and whatever I have to do right now is my soul's mission and is a lot more significant than it seems on the surface. So there's the big transformation, like what you mentioned about moving to South Africa and just completely transforming your experience from darkness to light and building your beautiful family. And then there's that daily transformation that you're mentioning. The monotonous like daily things that we have to do don't seem godly or holy. So the transformation of just recognizing that it is is almost like the ultimate well, could be. trans, but it, it could be. So how could it? So tell us that, that I would love to hear from you on that. Besides for just recognizing that it could be like, how do you make those moments specifically godly? And I'd love for you to give any example from your life. So I think it's about intent. I say this with my kids at night, like when we go to sleep, like I say like, okay, like you're going to go to sleep so we can have like a really good day tomorrow and do good things. You know, it sounds cute when you say it with little kids, but do we say that to ourselves? I'm going to sleep because I want to do something meaningful tomorrow. And then our whole sleep becomes holy. That's what Hasidah says. That's holy. Like your sleep could be holy. And I think for me, having children has really transformed the way I look at the world because they live in the now. Kids are now oriented. It's about this exact second. And the transformation happens when we are incredibly present in the moment. What am I doing right now? And really, the most meaningful things we can do and the way we can really connect to God, I think, is by connecting with other people. So you're in a really ordinary moment. Is there somebody in that moment that you can connect with? Whether it's your kids or your spouse or the lady standing behind you in the queue at the shops or the other moms that you're watching soccer practice with. I have like a really ordinary life. Um, <laughs> we all do, about, by the way. I'm just, I know. <laughs> I'm just thinking about does. all the things I did today. And I think that ability to connect with another human being, you know, and just, hi, how are you? And have that moment of connection. That is not an ordinary thing. To be able to authentically connect with another human being is not ordinary ever. And so if we could, every moment that we're in, say, is there somebody else that I can somehow connect with, whether it's just a hello or a smile. And it's interesting because I think sometimes we can do that with strangers easier than with our own family because we have so much admin to do with our family, you know, getting through the day and, you know, especially with kids or a spouse, like, did you take care of this? And did you take care of this and do your homework? And just there's a soul there and like our soul could do something meaningful with that person and just to check in with people at the moment, wherever we are is I think can be very transformative for everybody. Just in general, like I think certain things can seem to be like very dark places, like take social media, for example, it's a place of a lot of darkness. Be honest, it's a lot of peer pressure and bullying and extremely materialistic and on the surface can be this place of so self-oriented and so egoistic and so not godly. Some people say like, it's bad. You need to stay away from it. And it's full of stuff that's against God, anti-God. I think if you look deeper and kind of like unpeel the layers, it's such an incredible way to connect with people. And 
I write a daily Tanya thought and 600 people read it every day. That's amazing. Like 600 people don't listen to me a day for sure, like in real life. And so to kind of say, okay, there's these platforms that seem to be dark. And, and that's what you do too with the Tanya project. You know, where can we bring a bit of light in? And it's work. And the Tanya refers to it as work. So is habcha is actually when it's no longer work, when it becomes natural and becomes part of who you are. The struggle is the work that we do. And I think for most of us, there's always going to be struggle in certain areas. There's going to be a struggle to find meaning. But if there's one tiny aspect of your life that instead of it feeling like a struggle, it could become not a struggle, then you've you've transformed that teeny aspect. So in our parenting, in our relationship with our spouse or friends or family or work or whatever, to kind of pinpoint like, where's this area of darkness? What do I struggle with? And like, how can I transform that? How, what can I change? What can I do differently? You know, we often do the same thing over and over again. We're like, wait, why is nothing working? I'm trying so hard, but you're trying the same thing over and over and over again. And I think transformation comes when we can take a step back and say, let me look at this from a different angle. What can I do differently? What can I change? Maybe I'm, I'm working so hard, but I'm trying the wrong keys. Um, we have tons of keys and locks in our house. Okay. The locks in South Africa all have keys. They don't have American locks where it's just like a little piece that you turn That's like so either annoying. vertical or horizontal. Yeah. So we're always okay. losing keys and hiding keys and there's Getting keys in the bathrooms and I don't want my, my kid's bedroom. I take the keys away because I'm always scared they're going to lock themselves in. But we that have like scary. security gates on the front door and the back door and our keys are a little bit old and a lot of them get stuck. And if you insert it one way, it will fit, but it won't turn. It will never open it. But if you insert it the other way, it's a struggle, but it will open. And I'm always like oh, inserting it and like pulling and like trying to turn it and trying to open it and it won't open. And then my husband will just like pop the key out and like turn it around and then like insert it again and turn it in. Like sometimes we get so caught up in like trying to turn the key. Like we need to open this door. We need to get in. And like sometimes you have to like take the key out, flip it around, insert it again. And sometimes the door opens. And I think about that sometimes when I find things that are challenging for me. And when I was little, I always wanted to be famous and, and do something amazing. And I really wanted to write books. And now I found that my ordinary life is so amazing. I'm very grateful for that. But sometimes I think, oh gosh, this is going to be my life. Like I'm going to be chauffeuring my kids around until they're 18. Really? I can do more than that. And then it's like, okay, but what are you doing? Are you talking to them when you're driving them? Like, where are they going? Why are you driving? Always ask yourself questions. Like, why am I doing this? Is this important? Do I need to do this? Can I change it? Maybe we do need to change it. Or maybe we just have to say, wait, this is important. And I believe in it. So what can I change about how I'm doing it? To always ask ourselves questions about everything. Not in a questioning like, oh my gosh, you're not good enough. But what am I doing right now? Why am I doing it? Can I do it better? Can I do it differently? Can somebody else do it? Is this what I'm meant to be doing? And those questions, I think, sometimes help us realize where's our little piece that we're meant to be transforming. When I was a kid, I was once driving home and my friend's father was driving and like we got lost and it felt like it was really late at night. It was probably like eight o'clock at night or earlier because Seattle gets dark early in the winter. Okay. But I felt like really like big and we're out late at night and the music was on and we were listening to like an Avram Fried song. 
my friend's father, he was like driving and, and he put the song loud and he's like, we're singing a Jewish song. Like this road has never had Jewish people singing a Jewish song about, I can't remember which song it was, but like it was a song about God. This road is wait has been waiting for us since for us. it was paved. And I remember thinking, wow, this road is waiting for us. Like imagine if we didn't sing the song, that would be terrible. <laughs> that reminds me of what you were saying about social media. I mean, it's such a Hasidic concept that every single thing in this world could be used as a tool for good. So when you come to a road and you're singing a song and you're like, this road was waiting for us, it's also like social media was waiting for Temi, even though it may seem like, truly, I mean, I, I've no doubt, I'm serious, that it was waiting for all of us, for each one of us who chooses to show up and recognize the true reality of why it was even created to begin with. As you said, to connect authentically with people to share godly wisdom, to share it in a unique way that only we can because each person has their own way of doing it. So I think that that perspective is so powerful to have that every time we approach a moment, an opportunity, an app, a new app and a new app like Clubhouse, I see that there are people who are, uh, yeah, that's, I'm not going there, but I do see that people <laughs> are taking it and like there's a new app, a new opportunity and a new way to uplift and elevate the world. So like this is a new road to make a blessing on. This is a new road to sing a Jewish song on. So this is a new app to reveal godliness on. And I think it's such a beautiful perspective. And that combined with the intention that you mentioned, everything you're saying is so connected to each other, obviously, because it's all about transformation. But that intent, I think, is huge. And when you open up social media, am I giving? Am I consuming? You make that choice every time based on the intention. When you show for your kids, am I connecting with them or am I just a bus driver? I think that's huge. Yeah, for sure. And it like it sounds so easy, like just be intentional and just, you know, <laughs> right. be thoughtful and it's work. But sometimes we can be in a moment and we can be like, wow, this is a powerful moment. We have got five little kids and often dinner's chaotic and they're spilling and water's always being spilled and someone doesn't like dinner and is moaning and someone's fighting with somebody. And tonight everything was aligned and we were all kind of sitting there and my husband was with us and the kids were talking and I looked around and there was a moment of real peace and silence. And I was like, this is a powerful moment. This is what it's about talking, listening, and like just being present in the moment and if someone walked into my house, they'd be like, wow, this is like a really intentional, thoughtful, like, and everyone's sharing their thoughts and there's a lot of communication. It's not always like that. There's often like not, right. the chaos. And, and I think as human beings, we're trained to focus on the chaos. And I think sometimes to be intentional and to be reflective, you can say, wait, I had an intentional moment that was transformative. I took just 60 seconds or two minutes of my time and I did something purposeful and meaningful, like, okay. I did two minutes today. Like, okay, maybe I can do three minutes tomorrow. You know, we, we get so bogged down by like, I can't become, I can't transform my whole life. That's too big. That's too much. That's too hard. And that is too hard. And that's a tzaddik's job to be like completely transformative, but we could have those moments. And I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. I'm easily overwhelmed. I'm always like, oh, this is too much. Um, I hold it together when I'm in public. I think part of finding the meaning in that is saying, oh, you lose it and I lose it. We're in this together. Like that's what it means to be human. Like the struggle comes first and the struggle is, is real and important and valid. But is there a second where I'm not struggling, where it's not difficult, where I can be intentional and it's peaceful, it's meaningful, it's thoughtful, it's 
And when we do that, it feels important, even if it's nothing, not nothing, but even if it's something that is this an important thing in life? You know, am I changing the world? And I think about Nachshon Ben Aminadov, like he just walked, he just like went forward, like step by step by step. And like, sometimes we think we need to fight and we need to pray and we need to like, just walk, just go forward, just do something good. You're telling yourself it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to matter. I struggle in this area. For me, a huge struggle is organizing my house. I feel like it's a losing battle. And I I always ask people, like, are you on top of your life? Like, do you feel like you're on top of your life? I just want to know. Like, there, when do we arrive? Like, yeah. Like, does everyone? Oh, nobody knows what they're doing? Oh, that's good. That's a relief. Um, <laughs> but also to know that you don't have to feel like hugely on top of your life. And I, and I, I don't know anyone who is. I, I, I always ask people, even if I've just met you, like, do you feel on top of? Tani, do you feel on top of your life? <laughs> no, thank no. you for asking. Right. Yeah, just checking, just doing a check-in. And no, <laughs> minute by minute. Right, exactly. Day yeah. by day. I have this like internal head thing in my head. Sometimes I'm like, okay, what are the next five things I'm supposed to be doing? And it's micro things. Like, okay, I need to put on my shoes. I need to find the car keys because that's always a step. I need to load the kids into the car and drop them off at school. Micro steps. Like, what am I doing right now? And I think what's interesting about COVID is everyone had plans and they just fell apart completely. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. So all we can do is, what am I doing right now? This moment is important. It's meaningful. It's valuable. And yeah, it's important to have your five-year plan and your 10-year plan, but also like, what are you doing right now? I like that you said that because I think that complete transformation is not necessarily something that we could aim for right now. But saying that the only responsibility I have is transformation in this exact moment. Like I don't have to be someone who inherently only sees the good in social media, inherently only sees the peace and joy and love in my family. But if in this moment right now, I could utilize whatever I have for the good, then that moment itself like exists on its own as a moment of transformation. And what Absolutely. Comes- Back to my house analogy. There's just so much stuff and I feel like I can clean a drawer and then it's just pointless. Like, cause two days later, my kids are like bringing in stuff and God, I often say to my husband, like, is our house ever going to be organized? But like, I've taken a very drawer by drawer, step by step. And like, my husband laughs at me cause I'll be like, look at this drawer. It's so organized. And he's like, thing of beauty. Oh. The rest of the house. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I've been but, working on this drawer all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm really yeah. kind of focused and be like, okay, well, this drawer is good. I've transformed it. Like it's perfect. It's organized for now. And I think sometimes that's how we have to approach life. Like oh, don't nice. transform everything. That's that's too big. Just clean a drawer. Mentally, emotionally, pick a drawer, clean it up. Give yourself 20 minutes. Nice. Don't take the burden of your entire life on your shoulders right now, because I feel like that's just a trick to get us to not do anything. But I'm just going to organize a drawer is something that's so attainable. And I feel like the same is in any area of our life is that if we give ourselves these like micro tasks of transformation, we're able to carry them through because it's not overwhelming to us. And we can do the small moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe that small moment's what you're created for. Like, we don't know. Like I tell my, like my students, I used to tell them on social media, like, Choose two meaningful, inspirational, like Jewish content accounts and follow them. And when you go onto your social media after you follow whoever, make sure you check out those accounts and just have like a pocket, a moment of this space can be intentional and meaningful, even if I'm just going to be using it for entertainment or whatever afterwards. But 
make sure that you're following something intentional. Like, is it all going to be intentional? Do I think it's realistic for 13-year-old kids to only follow Jewish inspirational content on Instagram? No. But can they follow two accounts like that and make sure that every time they go on Instagram, they check those feeds? Yeah, that's realistic. Nice. I think. So small baby steps. Small baby steps. Exactly. One step in front of the other. That's how you change the world. Exactly. Even I think that big transformation actually happens through the small transformations. Like you will become the most organized woman in the world (laughs) through one drawer at a time. I think we have like tunnel vision sometimes in the moment. Like, oh, I've only transformed a single moment. And then you kind of look back after a week, a month, and you see how many moments stacked up. What came to mind when you were talking about your children is that your children, when they look back at their childhood, are not going to remember the fighting, the spilling. They're going to remember that time that they were sitting around the table. And they're going to remember all those moments stacked up so closely together that they almost seem like they all happened at once, but they were like spread out over years. It's much grander than it feels in the moment sometimes because it compounds, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Hashem always has a plan and kind of kind of like veer off. We had like an unexpected stop once in Rome for like 20 hours. We were, me and my husband oh, wow. were traveling back from our bar mitzvah in Greece to South Africa. And there was like a freak 10 minute hailstorm when we were supposed to be landing. And then we were ran out of fuel. So they, we landed in Naples oh, wow. and then we had a refuel. Okay. And then by the time we got back to Rome, our connecting flight had left. And so we ended up in Rome for 20 hours, no luggage. And I remember being, I've always wanted to go to Rome. Like, let's explore Rome. And I'm more of a planner. Like if I knew I was going to Rome, there would have been an itinerary. It would have been really thought out and structured. But we, you know, we were spontaneous. So we're in Rome and we're spending the day there. And Rome is is amazing because it's built on like ancient Rome. So like everywhere you go, there's digs and history, especially where we were staying. We didn't have time to book. So it was like, okay, what tour is going next? English speaking of the Colosseum. And the tour guide speaking, and we're kind of listening and start talking about like the Jewish slaves who built the Colosseum. And I'm thinking like they were slaves and like what impact? And like they built this building and they probably it was like right after like the destruction of the second base of Magdash. And there was such a moment of my husband's there, like I'm there, like we're these Jewish people. And they probably had no idea the impact of living as Jews what that impact would have 2000 years down the line. Then I think like it seemed so pointless. I could only imagine because the Jews were such a minority and the Romans were world conquerors, literally, and so powerful. And they were building this immensely powerful building and like they were the slaves. And, but yet they still kept faith and they still just, it seemed pointless. They're fighting for something that's gone. There was so much darkness and it was such a dark period in Jewish history, the post-Roman conquest of Jerusalem. They were enslaved. And, and, and the, the man was saying how like the cheapest slaves in the slave markets in Rome in the first century were the Jews because there were so many slaves. They were your cheapest slave to buy. Wow. But yet they kept Torah mitzvahs. Like they kept their religion. And here we are, 2,000 years later, like off the back of like, something that probably seemed really hopeless, like at the time. We don't know most of their names or who they were. And the buildings that they built for the Romans as slaves, my, we were davening mancha and like, we're davening mancha, like just blocks yeah. from the Colosseum. Like that like idea of these slaves who had no name and that we don't know and not famous for anything. Like 
those were the people who kept Judaism alive. As much as the great rabbis that we talk about and leaders, it was the ordinary people who said like, okay, we're, we're slaves and we don't know where this is going to go, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Beautiful. Yeah. So that was like a moment for us. That is, it's a special moment. Generations later, and these slaves kept us yeah, so many but they years did. ago. Okay, Temi, so closing off, I'd love for you to share some practical tips for somebody listening on how they could incorporate this transformation in the small, monotonous, mundane moments of their lives where they're struggling to see the ability for transformation. What tips would you give? My tip would be don't focus on transformation because really we need God's help to be transformative. So my tip is just, again, ask yourself, what am I meant to be doing right now? Is there something good I could be doing? And again, if the answer is yes, it always is, do it. Just do it at that moment. Again, when it's the ordinary routine, and and I remind myself of this because I do get dragged down in like the routine of the day is to be, it seems so dark. So this is obviously where I'm meant to find my light. Like, what can I do differently? You know, and I think for me, dancing and singing and is very transformative. Be joyful, be joyful with, with kids. And I think sometimes for ourselves, like we struggle with joy because there's instant, like or a simple gratification of like what we think like happiness is, but it, it's not. The early Hasidim were like so joyful and they used to always be singing and dancing and people thought they were crazy. And someone said like, why? Like, we're, like life is hard. Life was really hard for Jews back then. It was tough. Like, why, why are you laughing and dancing and singing all the time? And they gave the analogy of a beautiful people like dancing to like beautiful music and a symphony. And if someone blind walks past and they, I mean, someone deaf, sorry. And they said like, why is everyone dancing in the middle of the street? Like what's going on? Just because they don't hear the music. And Hasidus was saying, there's this incredible symphony of God that's playing all around us. And we need to tap into that music. And there's every moment is an opportunity to connect with God. And that's joyful. And so talk to God. I'm a big like, oh my God, God, help me. Like, And I think as women, women have like that innate ability. Like, yes, there's formal structured prayer, which is so important and meaningful. But talk to God and invite him into your monotony. And just remind yourself that God's there with you. And that could become meaningful all by itself. Yeah, that in and of itself, I think, is so transformative. Just to welcome God into the mundane space is to acknowledge that he exists there and it's not just a physical world and it's not just monotony. And I think transformation happens when we like can invite God in, when we can be grateful, and when we could just say, I'm here right now doing something. Nice. Thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom, your life. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Was, you know, it was so nice to kind of articulate a lot of this. You know, I never told my husband about that moment in the hospital. I told him last night. Wow. And he was like, what? That's amazing. I wondered what changed your mind. <laughs> and people used to say like, how did you end up here? And I'm like, I don't even know. Like we were supposed to move somewhere else. But I do know it was like that moment of it's not meant to be dark here for us. Like it's supposed to be light. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you for giving your me that. Your home in your life should continue to be full of light. And Amen. that Amen. transformation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, much Temi. 
אלוקיי זקנינה בתורתך ובמצוותיך לחבר את נשמתי תמיד אליך מחבל, מחבל, תמיד Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tony Project or by email at humanandholy at gmail.com. Temi's words empower me to see the potential for meaning in my most ordinary days. It is such a great reminder to me that it is not the once-in-a-lifetime moments that transform our lives into meaningful ones. It is the ordinary moments infused with meaning that make our lives extraordinary. Thank you.